0: Episode 119 of the Biven James Hour Show, Three Life Listens. team welcome along to episode 119 of the bevan James I'll show you a fortnightly podcast on the behaviors that create a, a lifetime love of exercise so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it uh, I gotta say it's uh it's it's a good day it's a good day. actually you know what's really funny is I was doing some commentating at a race last night called car park cannonball and it's a race where it's a cycle race so you can hear my voice is dying but it's a cycle race where they have upper car park so it's it's pretty, kind of, eight floors up a car park, people sprinting on a bike, and it was quite a fun event, but I tell you what, two things happened, A, I've been losing my voice because I screamed too much, and then B, I couldn't get to sleep when I got home because I was so excited, so I'm living off four hours sleep, which is something, I'm actually a pretty good sleeper, so it's pretty rare for me to have to live off four hours sleep, but don't worry, I'm going to make it through today's show. Today's show is... Um, The Bevan Show and what that means if you're new to the show is that basically I try to get an interview every second show and then I just kind of share some thoughts every other show on top of that. Today's one of the Bevan shows where I'm going to share some thoughts and uh, I'm just going to share kind of a couple, maybe two or three kind of life lessons that have really hit me in the last period of time. So I'm just going to kind of share them with you and you can kind of take what you want from those. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about Small things before I get into the main gist of today's show, so I'm going to quickly say thank you to all the patrons of the show, and these are people who support the show by donating a little bit of their hard-earned money each time I release an episode of the Bevan James Isle Show, and today I want to mention Kim Anderson-Hadley, and her nickname is Surging Ford. Kim actually just recently did the New York Marathon, and she achieved the goal that she was aiming to achieve, had a pretty great race, with Lana Kingy, and that is the Queen of Change, she's actually one of my coaches up in Wellington. Uh, Wendy Schaefer, rock star, we've got Louisa Crosby, and she actually, these people I know, Louise was doing my class this morning, she was absolutely killing herself, and that is Chin Queen, we've got Ella Boom Boom Powell Green, and Darren Dangerous, Boussain. These are all patrons of the show. If you want to become a patron of the show, just go to bevanjamesisles.com, click on the link on the website, and uh, it's all pretty obvious from there. I've got to say, patrons, I'm actually just doing the website, I'm redoing the website right now, and uh, your contributions are actually what are helping me be able to do that. So I just want to say thank you to all the patrons of the show. Anyway, I'm going to get straight into the main gist of today's show, so let's get into it right now. So today's show, I think I've called it three Lessons Life Has Taught Me Recently," and um, I'm just going to share a couple of experiences. And I'm kind of just thinking in my head right now: which which level do I start with? Which one do I go with first? And actually, one I'm going to go with first, I'm going to—I've just decided right then and there which one I'm going to go with first. So I love the idea of strategies. And actually, recently I had um, we had a, a lady who's who's training to be a personal trainer come along and help. Um, she's doing a training. And she just wanted to shadow us in our coaching business just to see what we do within our coaching business um, with the runners. And she came and shadowed me in a session. Now, often when you get new fitness professionals coming and shadowing you, they're often a little bit new to fitness or... um you know, maybe just don't have much life experience because they're a little bit younger but this lady was similar to age to myself um, and had been an athlete her whole career and, and also had been, I think she was quite involved with her own running club so she had quite a bit of experience and was quite comfortable in very much just kind of what we did and, and to be honest, it was pretty great really for someone just coming along and shadowing and, um, and I was coaching one of the crew and, and so she kind of shadowed me a little bit and then she would just go off and help some of the runners herself and she had a lot to share and I was coaching the last of our runners as they were coming into the run at the end of the run. The runners that day were doing maybe, I don't know, I think they were doing like an 18K run. So it was a big run for these runners. And we we're coaching the last couple of runners as they're coming in, and they probably had about 5Ks to go. And at this stage in the run, they're getting a little bit tired, they're getting a little bit fatigued, you know, um, just that starts to happen. And I started to talk to the run about kind of that runner about the mind games that they use talking about strategies that they use to help them be successful to the end of the race. And it's something I'm going to talk a little bit about later on, but you know, when we're racing one piece of advice I always give athletes is particularly in endurance sports. And, and obviously I do a lot of running coaching. So one of the greatest pieces of advice I give my runners is you need to race a race in a smart way, which delays the moment the race gets hard and let's just say you're doing a half marathon, and you, ideally, a, a well-run half marathon will feel pretty comfortable in the first half, and then in the th- you know from the first half through to the you know maybe the third quarter, um, but then from there you're still and you're not you're not comfortable, but you still know you you know you can run at the pace you're working at. And then ideally with about five Ks to go, you've got something left in the tank to be able to push in the hard bit. So ideally the way you race the race in the first three quarters is delaying the moment the race gets hard. So then when it gets to that last little bit, you can kind of push on and have a little bit of an edge in the last part of the race. And so when we're coaching our runners, we often talk about this, you know, like, how do you make sure you delay the last part of the delay today's run so you're saving it until it gets hard to the end? But then when you get to that last part of the race, you know, in a half marathon, that last 5Ks, or in this run on that day, you know, they were about 18K run, so they're probably about 14Ks into the run, 4K to go. How are you going to make sure you can get to the finish line in the fastest way possible? and that's the question we get our runners to think about so delay the moment the race gets hard and it's about great strategy and using wise running to that point and then from there once you get to the point where you're close to the finish and you know you can push hard what strategies do you use to be able to push hard to the end and this is a really important thing that you want to develop as an athlete so we you know, like I'll often use things like breaking it down to small chunks, I make a power playlist so I get to listen to my favorite music, I focus on my technique, I have all these strategies that I use. And when we we're coaching myself and this lady who was shadowing me, we were coaching one of the runners and we we're just saying, What strategies can you use right now as you head into the last 4K of this run that you can develop so that on the race day you can pull these strategies out in place? And I shared a few of my strategies with the runner. And then the lady that was shadowing me, she had a really good strategy. She said, one strategy I use when I'm in the hard part of the race is I dedicate a k, each K of my last few Ks to somebody who's really important in my life. And as soon as she said that, I just thought, wow, what a great great strategy to use. You know, like when you get to that point, like if you've had a smart race, you've taken that first three quarters really in the right way, that you get to that last 5K and you think to yourself, okay, now I'm going to push. And now I'm going to give it everything I've got. And you can think of the strategies like using your watch, using music, thinking about your technique. But to dedicate each K to somebody who you really emotionally care for can be something that's really powerful. And I just thought, wow, what a great strategy. And to me, this whole idea of developing strategies for areas of your life where you struggle is a big part of you being successful in life. And how do we define successful? Well, you know, probably being content, feel like you're growing, you know, how do you define success Is something that is probably something that's very personal to each of us who are listening to this today, but I love this, you know, if you've listened to my show for a long time, you'll know that I really love the idea of strategies, I really do, I really think that strategies are such a key to success, and her example was just one that I'd never thought of. And it's one thing that I try to get my runners to think of when they are, when I am out there coaching, is what what are going to be the games and the strategies that work for you? Because there are, um, are some strategies that tend to be very universal. Um, breaking down a goal to smaller chunks seems to work really well, but there are some things that maybe just that just work for you as a person, and her strategy of dedicating Kate although I kind of think it's universal I never thought of it was really a creative way to push through to the end and so probably one of my first points I want to make today is that part of your job in life is learning your moments of struggle and then learning strategies that are going to help you through your moment of struggle and so instead of when you get to that hard moment of the race and we'll use that as a metaphor right now instead of just giving up you try strategies now the one thing about strategies is as I said just before, a strategy that works for you may not work for me. So it's very much trial and error. The the, the the her strategy of dedicating a K to someone who's really important might not work for you, but it might be your strategy of proving to somebody who you felt, felt disappointed in you might be the strategy that works for you. So part of your job in life is, in moments of struggle, is to try strategies, explore strategies, assess them and then if they do work then implement them in the future and that kind of leads me into a, the next point that I want to share today so I read a book called the tools I think I've talked about it recently quite on on the show quite a lot and the tools is the book that uh I think it was by someone's Phil Stutz, I think, wrote the book. And it's basically a psychologist who was frustrated with the idea of he wasn't really helping people, and he wanted to find the tools that could really help. And the book has, I think, five tools in it. And the last tool of the book is called Jeopardy. And, And Jeopardy is basically a tool which is there to help you identify when you are kind of wasting your life. And it's a really simple tool. It's basically... When you feel you are wasting your life, it might be through procrastination, it might be because you're not doing the thing that you know you deep down want to do, but aren't doing, it might be you know anything like that, it is to imagine the version of yourself on your deathbed, and to imagine the version of yourself on the deathbed and to think, what would they want me to do right now? And the reason Phil Studs had this in this book was that he found it very frustrating because the, the other tools that he has in the book, he felt really helped people progress in life. And what he found frustrating as a psychologist was that these people would use these tools, have massive change, would have a big impact on their life. And then after a while, they'd stop using the tools. And he was like, why would you stop doing something that we know works for you? That when you use these tools, you just function at a higher level. It's kind of like what I was talking about for running, isn't it? That the strategies, if I know these strategies work, why wouldn't I just use these every time when I do a race? And that's why he did the Jeopardy tools. He wanted the people he had worked with to remember to use the tools that had helped them be successful. And the whole idea is in those moments when you may be being weak or you may be not just doing what you know you should do, ideally, what you do is you use the Jeopardy tool of the, the the older version of me thinking about what would they want me to do in my life? Would they want me to sit on the couch watching TV? Or they want me to be creative with this time? Would they want me to stay in bed for another hour? Or would they want me to get up and go for a walk or go for a run? And ultimately, I suppose, the whole idea of that perspective of me and the last part of my life, when I have don't have much time left, where time is probably more valuable because I see the end of time, then that can be a motivator to get me to act right now. Now, the Jeopardy tool, it's interesting for me as a person because... I I think I'm very good at using my time. I'm not someone who tends to waste a lot of my time on things that I don't think add value to my life. I've created a lot of systems in my life, like my weekly meetings, like my daily kind of objective list, and these tools that I use that really keep me in a good place around how to use my time in life well. So it's not a tool that, when reading the book, I felt I would need to use a lot. Now, one thing I've done with the tools from this book is I've added it to my morning I have the kind of the Bevan Bible, I call it, which is just the kind of a thing that I read that kind of reinforces who I am and what I want to be doing. And I've just added a page to that book to remind me to use those tools throughout my day. Um, so I, there has been a few moments when I have used the Jeopardy tool and the way that the book has kind of intended for us to use it. You know, a couple of times where, like I think I wrote that story that I read on the episode a couple of weeks ago, And that came from a moment of I was just sitting around not doing much and I thought, you know what, I could pick up the computer and write a story right now and I used the Jeopardy tool to do that. But there's been a a different value for me in using the Jeopardy tool. And it it reminded me of the Jeopardy tool. So years ago, I was doing some reading on NLP and I'm sure many of you have heard of NLP, Neuro-Linguistic Programming, and it's kind of the argument around NLP is when I haven't really programmed the communication of our mind that well so let's develop better ways to program the communication of our mind and one of the visualization techniques I did when I was doing my kind of NLP education was this whole idea of meeting the old version of yourself so in this visualization technique they kind of you go into a room and you meet the old version of yourself now, it's not necessarily the version of yourself that's on your deathbed. It's it's just a version of yourself in the latter part of your life, and um, and in that, it was a really interesting kind of life experience for me to go through, because in that moment when I kind of in this visualization experience, and it was quite a thorough visualization. It was quite a a a, a vivid picture. Of the experience that I was going through when I went through this visualization that was quite powerful as I did it. And I remember, and I did this a few years ago, but it, it had quite an impact on my life. And I remember um that when I met the old version of myself, he was just quite a caring version of myself and and he and he just he, he said one thing to me. He said, Bev, you're gonna be alright. that's that's all he said to me he said you're going to be alright and there was something about that that was really powerful it was just kind of like I don't know just that reassurance that came from the old version of myself that I don't know there was just something really powerful that came with that and I'm I'm almost I'm, I'm kind of as I talk about this right now I almost have I want to go down two paths and I'm going to go one path and then I'll come back to the other path so one path I want to go down here, and this is what's really interesting i was I was talking to a client i can't remember which client it was I was talking to a client recently, and I was talking to them around what would you say to the version of yourself who was fifteen twenty years younger than you are right now, or how would you look upon that version of yourself so it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a what advice would you give you know like that's often what we think about is if you could go back to the 15 year old version of yourself what advice would you give to that version of yourself and you know like you know that's always an interesting question but the question i put to this client was more how would you look at that version of yourself how would you look at that version of yourself that let's just say kind of late teens early adult version of yourself with the eyes that you have right now and what was really interesting is this person said I would be really caring and, and look at them with love. And I would almost be a bit forgiving of the place this version of myself was in. And it was really interesting as we thought about this, and we kind of dug deep into this topic of how would you look in, kind of what perspective would you look upon the younger version of yourself. And this person who I was working with at this time was someone who has got their own struggles and is probably too hard on themselves in their everyday life right now. And as we talked about how would you look upon the version of yourself 20 years ago, there was this real sense of I would definitely be caring, I'd definitely be more forgiving, I'd definitely be more loving. And as we talked about this, I thought, well, what about if we thought about the older version of yourself looking upon yourself right now? And you could see in this moment that the client realized that the older version, the version 20 years from now, who would look upon this person right now, would be a lot more caring, a lot more forgiving, and a lot more loving upon the way they looked upon themselves right now. And there's some real power in that moment. The real power how I can look upon the younger version of myself and I can be a lot more fairer. I can be a lot more caring. I can I can be I can let them be. And then when I'm in this moment of how I'm living life right now, I don't allow myself to have that. But as I look to the future version of myself, looking upon the version of myself right now, I would allow myself to have that. And there's just something in that for me. And it was like that version, you know, when I did that visualization technique with myself, when I you know, I saw the old man, he said, Bev, you're going to be all right. He was kind of saying, relax, it's okay. Don't don't make it a struggle, you know, be kinder to yourself. And there's just something in that. I'm, I'm not sure we, what, you, what you need to take from that, but I think there is something in that self. Your future version of yourself, I, I can't guarantee, but I imagine it's probably going to look upon you now and the faults that you see in yourself and the struggles you see in yourself and probably be a lot more forgiving and a lot more caring than maybe what you are right now. And then this leads me back to what I was saying before, I've got two paths I want to go down as I kind of hit this moment, and the first path was that idea of looking back on the younger version of yourself to be more caring, so maybe the future version of yourself will be more caring, so maybe right now you should be more caring. And going back to the Jeopardy tool, I haven't used the Jeopardy tool that much in the way of thinking how to get more out of my time, but... With line of everything that's kind of going in my head right now, I've started using this Jeopardy tool in a different way. So one thing that's happened in my life in the last period of time is I am a 40-year-old man, and there's two things I've really been thinking about is how do you define yourself as your age, and one thing I noticed recently, I've been definitely saying I'm an older man now, and the way I communicate to the world is I've been saying I'm an older man, and recently I've just thought to myself, I'm going to stop doing that because I, I'm not old, Um, You know, I might be older than what I was 20 years ago, but we're all getting older. I'm just going to say I'm a 40-year-old man. I'm just going to define myself based on what I am. But there's definitely struggles with aging that we all have to come against. And the way we look changes. Um, The fact we are getting older starts to come through. Um, And this is definitely something that at my certain moments in my life I've struggled with. And it's not something that I necessarily think most people find easy, Um, and I definitely think it's something I don't want to be wasting my time on, but I definitely at moments will struggle with it. And so with this in mind, and if you go back to some of the stuff that I always think about of what a waste of my energy it is to spend my life worrying about getting old, I'm much better to spend my life developing myself, growing myself, building greater connections, Learning and empowering myself in my world, worrying about getting old is just a waste of my life because I can't really stop it. You know, I can't stop, you know, now I can stay as healthy as I possibly can and it's definitely worth the, my energy. But worrying about getting old and sitting in that space is just a waste of my life. And so, one strategy going back to almost like my first point in today, in moments of struggle, learn strategies. One strategy I've been doing is in the moments where maybe in the past I would have looked in the mirror and kind of felt, oh, I'm getting old in maybe a disappointing way or a despondent way or, you know, it was just a little bit of a letdown to myself. I'm injecting that old version of myself. I'm literally putting myself in the mind of that old version of myself that I saw when I was visualizing. And I put him, I literally put him behind my head and just think, what would he say right now? And in that moment when I use this technique of using the old version of myself where maybe I'd be disappointed about age or or just struggling a little bit with age, I don't know if disappointment's the word, but the struggle that comes around aging, I almost laugh at myself. Because the old version of myself just almost sees it as almost comical that I would be worried about age at this moment. And the old version of myself and the things that I worry about really just diminishes the power that the fear of aging has over me in those moments. The old version of myself can look at me with care, can look at me and see that I'm being a little bit silly. It can remind me of what's really important in my life. And this is a strategy I'm I'm really finding to be quite powerful. It's a strategy I've been practicing quite a lot and it's a strategy that I'll definitely be using a lot more in my life. So, as I think about this, and as you listen to this, maybe this is a strategy you want to think about, and, and kind of, as I kind of layer everything that I've been talking about to this point in time in today's show, my first point was, in times of struggle, we want to learn strategies, and like the lady who was shadowing me, and using that kind of dedicating a K to each per, or each K of the race to someone who I love, that's a great strategy. Now, in this moment here a struggle for me is aging and so what I'm using is the perspective of the old version of myself kind of that jeopardy tool to al- live in the eyes of that in the moment where I struggle and it allows myself to be much more kind to be much more realistic and get back on track of what's really important in my life and that's a strategy I think is really powerful and so hopefully as you listen to this right now it's a strategy that maybe you can practice in your life and you can think about what I was talking with with my client around this whole idea of if you th- and just think about this yourself right now think back of yourself 15 I don't know how old you are you might be in your 20s you might be in your 30s 40s 50s 60s I doubt I get many teenagers listening to this but maybe I do um, but think back to you know, an earlier version of yourself and, and see the struggles that you had And then look upon you with loving eyes and see how easy it is to be forgiving. See how easier it is just to let the the, the pain and suffering of that time go. And then think about if you could use an older version of yourself to allow yourself to have that right now, how powerful could that be? So that's kind of the first part of today's show. The second part of today's show is I just want to share an experience I had. So... I've, in the last few period of time, I've been talking about, I've been training to a race. Um, if you have listened to some of the old episodes, my wife and I were trying to qualify for the New York Marathon. My wife had already qualified earlier on in the year, and I had to qualify to do the New York Marathon. And I had to do a half marathon under 124 um, and uh, yeah, to, to achieve the goal. Now, I'm an athlete who's of the ability where 124 is a pretty easy goal for me to achieve. You know, like, I, I, you know, the way I train, my level of fitness means that a 124 is definitely achievable for me in my athletic career. So, but, and I've talked about this on the last few episodes, you know, I really enjoyed training for this race and I really enjoyed training for this race because I had a program that kind of scared me and I think it was really healthy for me to be training at that level again and I was training really well. The downfall was, three weeks before the race, I pulled my hamstring, and I wasn't really able to run at all up until race day. So while I had hoped to have a good race, come race day, I was very much, you know, like in my training, I was hoping to do somewhere around 118 to 119, that was what my training said was possible, and, you know... But with, once I got the injury, I was like, well, you know what? Just make sure you get under, under 124. And so for three weeks leading up to race, I didn't train. and But I, I still keep fit because I teach classes at the gym. And luckily, the hamstring didn't really play up at the gym. And then I get to the race. I took some drugs to help me look after my injury. And I got strapped, which helped with the injury as well. And um, I managed to achieve my A goal. So my B goal was just to qualify. And going into the race, it was very much... I just need to do a 124, so let's see what happens, I don't want to take a risk where I could blow my hamstring out and can't finish a race, but as long as my hamstring didn't play up, I knew I'd get 124, but if I had a great day, I could aim for that under 120, you know, kind of 118, 119 mark, now luckily for me, I was able to, the hamstring didn't play up, and I was able to run the race that I wanted to run, and I talked a little bit about running earlier on in today's show, but... I I just want to share how I ran the race because I think there's some maybe just some lessons in endurance sport but even just in self. So one thing that I've learned as an athlete over the years is this whole idea of control. Um, And learning to control yourself is a really important part of um, an endurance athlete's goal. And when I was a young athlete, Often emotions would take over and I would lose control in the goal. And so I would start a race and I might have had a plan, but I was feeling really good. And I'd let these kind of little excitement sparks take me off my path. But as I've aged as an athlete, I've learned no, you've got a plan. Your job is to stick to the plan 100. And in this race, I started the race that I did my first 10k, and I basically I wanted to sit on a three forty five minute k. So a three minute forty five, three minutes forty five seconds per k was the goal. And the first 10k, I, I was sitting on that pace, and I felt very very comfortable. Now in those moments, and because it felt so easy, I did think to myself, maybe I could go a little bit faster. Now when I was a young athlete, I would have responded to that and thought, yes, go for it. But in this race, because I'm probably a little bit wiser, also probably because I was a little bit apprehensive about my hamstring, I stuck to my plan. Took it easy, ran through to 16Ks, and I managed to have with the last five Ks be have to push hard to the end. And I came in in my time of about 119, just over 119 was the time that I came in on. And I was, luckily I managed to win my age group. Now that was really, a really cool thing to do. But reflecting upon the race, one thing that I'm really proud of in the way I ran the race was my ability to stick to a plan. And you know, ultimately as an athlete. The result you get, like the fact that I won my age group, I can't I can't deny it. It was pretty cool. And um and it's really nice. I have to admit, it is really nice to be someone who has the ability to win a race. Um it was a very big field at this race. It's a big it was one of New Zealand's biggest half marathons or biggest marathons to Queenstown. Um I, I don't get me wrong, I'm not an elite runner, my time is a good age group runner I'm definitely not at the top end but it is really nice to win a race and it's nice to think that I can be someone who can win a race particularly based on the training that I did but the thing that I'm most proud of is my ability to stick to a plan and looking upon my younger self as an athlete often I didn't stick to a plan I would let my plan deviate based on emotional feelings happening in the moment And emotional feelings that would happen in the moment, that would take me off my plan, which I thought was going to make me more successful in the moment, but ultimately often proved to make me more unsuccessful after the fact. So for example, often when I was doing a race as a young man, particularly in endurance sports, I would feel very comfortable early on, and I would think, and and, and this is the time when I was trying to be competitive. So nowadays, the fact that I won my age group was just a bit of a blessing in disguise. I really just wanted to qualify for New York. It was really cool that I won my age group, but at the same time, it's kind of a cherry on the top, if you know what I mean. But as a young man, I was racing to win, and it's a different thing when you're racing to win. Um, You know, you may make different decisions, and so for me, as a young man, in those races, let's say I was racing at the Queenstown that I did a couple of weeks ago, in that 10k mark when I was feeling pretty comfortable, I probably would have thought, go for it. Now, if I'd gone for it as a young man, I probably would have faded in the last part and wouldn't have done as well as I did last weekend. And that whole idea of, you've got a chance to win, you should go for it, would make me make unwise decisions. And hence, I wouldn't perform as well as what I could. Nowadays, I have a much better ability to go create a plan and stick to your plan. And I suppose the, the lessons I'm trying to share with you here around this is, first of all, is how to create a wise plan. And the biggest thing that I always try to teach my athletes are, your plan should be based on what you did in the lead up to the thing you're trying to do. So for me, if I looked at my training times for my race... My training time said a 118 to 119 based on the course that I'm doing is a really good A goal, a good challenge that if I have a great day, I should be able to pull it off. Often when people choose goals, they just pluck them out of the air. I often get this with runners. They'll go they'll go I'll go to them, go, what's your goal for the rest? And I'll go, okay, I want to do a sub two hour half marathon. And you say, okay, well, what does your training say? Well, I'm probably more two fifteen. So why would you set a goal at two hours if your training says you're running around a 2.15? You're you're not, you know, 15 minutes faster in a half marathon is a massive jump. And most people, you you might freak it, but most people aren't going to freak it. Most people are going to sit close to the time that they train their body to do. Because when you condition your body to a certain pace, that's kind of what your body can do. So then to set a plan that's 15 minutes faster than that, well, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. So one of the real key things to think about, not just as an athlete, but in life, is as I set goals, and as I set growth points, or markers that I'm trying to achieve, they need to be pretty close to the ability that my recent history has taught me. Now in my race, my recent history taught me that based on the training that I did before I got injured, if my hamstring did not play up, I'm going to sit around about a 118, 119. So that was really what my history taught me. If I'd gone out and tried to run at 115, I probably would have done a 130 because I would have blown up. So the first point is, when you set a plan, really think about what your current period of time around growth has done, that, done for you. Second thing to then learn is, what takes me off my plan? What takes me off my plan? And that you know, I I don't have the answers for what happens here, but maybe you can think about in the past when you've tried to achieve some growth, and there might have been a market day, it might have been an exam that you had, or it might have been a race that you did, it might have been a performance and a creative endeavor that was really important to you. Any of these types of things, when you did well, what helped you do well, but. What distracts you from the focus that you're trying to do? I'll give you another really good example. So, one thing I'm doing right now is I'm getting piano lessons. And um, my piano tutor's given me these pieces that are definitely a stretch for me. Um, I'm definitely challenged by it, but I'm, I'm working really hard at them. And in the last couple of sessions I've had, I've got to the level with the songs that they've given me. When when I'm at home, I can play them. Now, I'm not 100% confident, but I can play them to a level where I'm getting through them, you know Not every time, i probably say 70% of the time I can Obviously I want to get more confident in them But then when I go to play with my tutor sitting beside me there's, it's Obviously there's more pressure because I feel the awareness of him looking upon me But I'm really not representing what I can do at home So there's something that's happening as a disconnect in the time where I'm meant to perform In comparison to what I can do based on my current ability when I'm at home so there's a disconnect that's happening. Now, as an athlete, my ability to have to perform and consistently deliver based on my performance and my training is happening. But as a musician, it isn't. And so one thing that I'm really trying to work on and learn right now is why is it that when I go to my tutor, I'm not performing well and what's taking me off my performance with my tutor? and I've been thinking about this so one thing is is that often when I go to my tutor I don't do any practice before my tutor so this week and tomorrow I've actually got a lesson with my tutor I'm going to do a bit of a practice of the work that I've been doing Another thing I don't do is I don't really warm up when I go to my tutor. I pretty much just try to do the piece, so I'm a little bit nervous. Another thing that I often do before I do a practice is I go slower. I do a really slow practice of the piece that I'm learning before I try to get the tempo up. So this is something I need to do with my tutor. I'm going to say to him next time, look, I'm going to do a slow version first. I'm going to do a warm-up first, and then I'm going to try to play it properly for you. What I'm doing when I sit down with a tutor is I'm taking away all the strategies that I use in my practice and I'm not putting them in place. I play the song, I kind of fail, and then the downfall is that as a musician, I'm kind of creating this habit of when the pressure's on, I'm kind of cracking. Now as an athlete, I'm not. When the pressure's on, I stick to a plan, I don't let those distractions come in place. So what I'm trying to learn is, as a musician, how do I make sure I'm putting the things that I've learned in my training into the moments when I'm testing myself? And then how do I stop myself from not using those? So one thing that I can often do is I can rush when I sit down with my tutor. Now, what I need to learn is rushing is pulling me away from a good performance. Like, as an athlete, by going faster, it's pulling me away from a good performance if I go too fast early on. And this is the, these are the things that we're trying to learn. So, my second point in today's show, and I think I called this three life lessons, I'm sure there's three life lessons in today's show, is when you are planning for a goal or when you're getting to the moment where you have to test yourself around ability based on current growth the first thing is the growth needs to be based on or the test needs to be based on where your current ability is as an athlete for me it's around a 118 to 119 half marathon as a musician my current ability is to be able to play my latest bark piece to my tutor like i can play it at home Then what we want to learn is when we're in the performance is what pulls me away, what can distract me from using the strategies and the tools that are going to help me have a wise performance. As an athlete, it's those little kind of moments of excitement that can make me think I should go faster than what I can. That's an example. As a musician, it's to think that I don't need to do the strategies that I use at home. Now, by doing these things well and learning these things then you're going to perform better. In my race, I delivered how I wanted to deliver on the day. Now, what's really cool is that because I delivered on the day, I I get an esteem that tells me, as an athlete, I know how to perform. And, And that's something I'm really proud of. Now, as a musician, I'm not there yet. But what I'm learning is that as a musician... I'm doing things that are working against me in my performance moment and what I need to do is I need to take control of those things so when I go to my lesson tomorrow, I need to say to my tutor, look, just give me a few minutes, I need to warm up, I need to get myself in the right place, I don't need to go straight into my piece." and that's what we want to think about. So as you think about yourself, when you do set those markers in the sand, the the performance day, the the race, the test, the the key presentation at work… Where is your current ability? And what should you be aiming for based on your current ability? And then how can you make sure the things that could pull you away from your strategy, your plan that will make you successful, will not distract you and you can stay on that plan? Now, if you can do that, then there's a much higher chance you're going to be successful. And then what happens is you get to own an esteem and an identity that tells you you're successful in those situations now for me at the moment as an athlete I totally own that I feel I can perform in a race as a musician I'm not but I'm understanding I'm trying to learn the tools that can shift my identity to go I am somebody who can perform when the pressure's on as a musician so hopefully something something there for you so those are the key lessons from today and there's kind of lots of little lessons I think I called it three lessons life lessons that's taught me hopefully there's lots in there Take what you want from it. But remember, learn, practice, and do these things. Because if you can, you're going to be that much better version of yourself. Right, I think that's pretty much today's show, Dumb and Undusted. Hopefully you got some good stuff from there, stuff to think about. As always, this stuff only works if you practice it, so make sure you practice it, you know, take some of the lessons that maybe I shared with you today, maybe some of those strategies like looking yourself, the old version of yourself, looking back upon yourself, you know, thinking about your strategies, just all of these types of things, take them and put them in place because um, they only work if you practice it was really key Again, I want to thank all the patrons of the show if you want to become a patron of the show just go to bevanjamesisles.com I'm getting my website updated right now and to be honest the money the patrons have contributed is pretty much paid for that so all the patrons thank you so much because it's really helped me I'm trying to get more new and snazzy and updated and so I can help reach more people um, if you got a question you can email me at bevanjames at gmail.com I'll be back in a couple of weeks time hopefully I've got an interview for you guys and um, you rock on and I'll see you guys real soon Thanks for supporting the show too. It really makes a difference. And lastly, go into iTunes, go into Stitcher, go into any of the podcast catchers and put some feedback about the show on there. Hopefully say it's great feedback as well and share with your friends. Anyway, guys, I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks.